Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Hi folks, Dr. History here with another story from the Old West. Now actually I've got two stories I'm going to tell you today. Uh, two kind of short stories, so I'm going to combine them. First one is a guy by the name of Willie Chamberlain. And he was laying asleep in his bedroll, unaware that a rabid wolf was making its way toward their camp. Now, this was in South Texas, and uh, it was dry. It was a cool night in March of 1888. Light breeze blowing, so just a, a pleasant evening. Willie had come to the cow camp on the Muretta Ranch in the Texas brush country to pick up some cattle for his half-sister, Mrs. Henrietta Chamberlain King. She was the widow of Captain Richard King, the founder of Texas's famed King Ranch. Uh, so Willie had lived and worked at the King Ranch since 1866 when his father, the Reverend Hiram Chamberlain, had died uh, while Willie was still a small boy. So nearly, uh, now Willie was a man camped under the Texas stars, nice night, uh, with some Mexican vaqueros. Their camp was quiet, even the two guard dogs were asleep, but there was a mad wolf that soon would break the silence. Well, Willie slept soundly. It had been a hard day in the saddle. Pretty soon, the rabid animal staggered into their camp, hoarsely growling, and made his way to the bedroll where Willie was asleep. Well, before the cowboy could move an inch, the animal attacked with all the fury of a, a cornered grizzly bear, really. Well, Willie was bitten severely about the face before he somehow managed to fight off this terribly enraged wolf. Well, by then, the whole camp was awake. The two guard dogs attacked the wolf and were bitten badly without killing or, or subduing the, the wolf. The wolf then attacked a small calf. One of the vaqueros finally made the kill, but he too was actually bitten on the foot. Well, Willie had two of the vaqueros heat some hot irons. Now get this, folks. When they were red hot, the two cowhounds' hands slowly and painfully cauterized the wounds on Willie's face. Now, the Mexican who was bitten on the foot thought his boot had protected him from the uh, dreaded hydrophobia that can come uh, from rabies. However, unfortunately, he died soon afterwards, along with the calf that had been bitten and the two dogs that were bitten. Well, Willie, his face was ripped by the wolf's fangs and seared by the hot irons, uh, and he passed out. And can you blame him? I mean, can you imagine the pain? Well, he woke the next morning. He was kind of delirious. One of Mrs. King's other ranch hands, a guy by the name of Durham, arrived at the camp the next day. So this is Saturday, March 9th. Durham felt that Willie should be taken to a hospital in Corpus Christi. But they decided he was too sick and postponed the trip till the following Monday. So now we're a few days out. So on Monday, the party left for Corpus Christi. Willie was obviously seriously ill, and it was a long, hard trip in the hot Texas sun. So it was Wednesday morning before they arrived in Corpus. Well, Willie's brother Ed, Richard uh, King Jr., and a guy by the name of Robert Kleberg, uh, along with their wives, came to the city to be at Willie's bedside. Well, Willie was examined by Dr. Dr. Arthur Spone, for whom one of today's largest South Texas hospitals is named. So you folks that live down there, that's uh, where this came from. So Dr. Spone told the family that Willie's only hope was to be taken to Paris, France, 
to receive the remarkable new treatment discovered by Louis Pasteur. Now, if Willie stayed in Texas, he would die for sure of the rabies. So Dr. Spohn and Willie, accompanied by Willie's brother Ed, set out for New York, where they would sail for Paris. They traveled as fast as they could on transportation of the 1880s, but they knew they had to reach Paris pretty soon if Pasteur's treatment was to be effective. Now, Louis Pasteur was already famous for his work in the prevention of anthrax, which is a fatal disease of cattle and sheep. So Pasteur had perfected his hydrophobia treatment using infected dogs. He had tried it on a human in 1885, and only three years before, Willie came to Paris. So it had only been out there about three years, so it was still kind of experimental. But a distraught mother had come to Pasteur after her nine-year-old son had been bitten 14 times by a mad dog. Well, Pasteur hesitated, then treated the child with a long series of injections. The wounds healed, and no sign of rabies appeared. So the boy was the first to be saved by the Pasteur method. So, again, this is three years prior. Well, as soon as the trio arrived in Paris, treatment began, and it worked. Willie Chamberlain was saved from a horrible death, and pretty soon he returned to South Texas and again went to work on his sister Henrietta's ranch. A slight scar on his face was the only remaining sign of this ordeal. Uh, The Texan lived on for many years, and of those bitten during the Mad Wolf's attacks on the camp uh, in that area, he was the only one to survive. So again, think of how tough this guy had to be. Now, how about another story? This is a story about a guy named Three-Fingered Smith. And I know you're wondering why did they call him that, so I'm going to tell you. So Three-Fingered Smith came to Idaho, which is where I live, in his early youth and selected a little meadow on the south fork of the Salmon River uh, as the site of his future home. Well, he swamped an opening in the lodgepole pine forest and built a cabin. Uh, horse raising was to be his principal occupation with a little farming, maybe a little mining thrown in, because that is uh, gold mining territory up in kind of central Idaho. Anyway, one day Smith was clearing brush from a garden spot when he felt a sharp sting sensation in his hand. He tossed away an armful of brush and found a rattlesnake clinging to his fingers. The only medical aid or treatment available of any kind was Smith's own resourcefulness. Okay, so get this, folks. He seized an axe and chopped off the two fingers that had been bitten and tossed them into the brush uh, for the field mice to nibble on. So after that, he was known as Three-Fingered Smith. So, you know, he couldn't count to ten after that. Anyway, Smith uh, uh, brought in some splendid horses Feed was really plentiful, and the animals grew fat, and he was actually a fine judge of, uh, of horses, and he was very fond of his little band of uh, horses. Well, one night, just before going to bed, Smith looked out across a little meadow and saw the animals. In a small group, they were kind of just contentedly eating on the grass. Well, pretty soon, one of the horses whinnied, threw up its head, and trotted off toward the timber. Well, several riders appeared out of the night, rounded up most of the best saddle animals, and galloped away. Well, the mysterious riders had been mounted on ponies with small feet, no horseshoes, so Smith correctly identified the horse thieves as Indians, probably a small band of sheep-eater warriors that that stayed up in that Middle Fork area of the Salmon River. 
they had sporadically emerged from the, uh, where they lived to pillage and plunder the white settlers, uh, persuading two neighbors to join him. Smith soon chased down the Indians, and in the ensuing fight, both of his companions were killed, and Smith was severely wounded. Well, he dragged himself into the brush and hid until the Indians were gone. So, again, I cannot believe how tough these guys are. With incredible stamina and determination, Smith crawled on his hands and knees to the cabin of his friend, a guy named Old Jews Harp Jack. Thirty-five miles away, he crawled. Well, Old Jack patched up the wound, and with plenty of water and good food, Smith recovered. He was greatly cheered up at the news that federal troops and civilian scouts had come into the region to mop up the predatory sheep-eaters, and he joined in that campaign. He never recovered his horses, but he did witness the defeat and capture of the sheep-eating warriors, uh, which, you know, I have mixed feelings about that. They were just living the way they'd lived for, for many, many years, and that's what they did. So, anyway, Smith became kind of enamored with a damsel and uh, a young lady, and with his characteristic directness, he stormed uh, into her heart and took her to be his wife, Well, hard luck still dogged his footsteps. His wife ran away with a sailor. How's that? Leaving him with the cares and worries of rearing five small children. Now, to this responsibility, he applied himself with diligence. He worked hard to provide for his kids and to be a good father. Well, his oldest boy became a mountaineer postman at the age of 15, packing the mail into what they call the Cleveland Mine on snowshoes. On one of his trips to the mine, the weather was really, really cold, and the load was really heavy. The boy sat down beside the trail to rest, and unfortunately, he froze to death. Well, Three-Fingered Smith uh, bore all these misfortunes uh, with courage and tried to keep hanging in there. When the children were older and able to shift for themselves, Smith left his home on the South Fork uh, and struck out for the gold country near a place called Florence, and he staked a claim which turned out to be really fabulously rich. Well, Florence was a wild and a woolly town, but Smith uh, steadfastly abstained from the uh, fun and he continued to work his claim. He finally had a pretty good fortune, and he returned to the town of Warren's. And by then, this is a booming mining camp, okay? Now, Warren's was not far from the scene of uh, uh, where Smith's misfortunes had taken place. So he walked into a saloon, and in a uh, just kind of a pleasant manner, he said to the bartender, how much will it keep uh, cost to keep your bartenders reasonably busy until morning? Well, when told him out, he plunked down the cash on the bar, went out to round up his friends for a celebration. If anyone complained about the brand of liquor served, he would go out and take another saloon, take over another saloon for the night. And this way, Smith managed to spend $100,000 in just 100 days. Oh, back in then, $1,000 a day, come on. Well, when his money was all spent, he went back to a place called Alder Gulch, made a new fortune, he returned to the town of Warren's, spent it in the same manner he had spent the first, and by now he was penniless, and again, uh, with a cup of his life well-drained, he disappeared into the silence of the Bitterroot Mountains. So that's the story, the life, and unfortunately the end. We don't know what happened to Three-Fingered Smith, but uh, he never was seen or heard from again. 
So I hope you like those two stories about Pasteur and Three-Fingered Smith. And as always, if you have comments, please feel free. I don't always pronounce the words right, so don't hesitate to correct me or send me information. So that's all for now, folks. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamins. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.